I'm very excited to preach this message today. Um, it's kind of weird that I'm preaching it on Thanksgiving weekend because this is something that, you know, people are out of town. I might have to preach this message three weeks in a row because this message, I believe, is this Im that important to where we're going as a church. How many of us know we're going somewhere? Right? You got to be careful that you don't look at church as a place that you attend, but a place that you are mobilized to go somewhere. We're going somewhere. God's always trying to go somewhere. He's always trying to lead you. He's a good shepherd, so he's leading. And I want to encourage you that this is a place you want to go. You may not like some of the pit stops along the way. You may not like some of the things that happen along the way. But when you get there, you'll be grateful. How many people know, man, we, we go through things that we pray to get out of, and then we get to this place with God, and you're like, you know what, I would do that all over again. If I would have known that God was going to lead me to this place, I would have not complained so much in that place. We're going somewhere. And so I want, I've been asking God to speak to me. My, my job is to prepare you for where you're going, right? Prepare you for where you're going. God's been speaking to me that these next several messages are going to be about what you're going through and where you're going to. What you're going through and where you're going to. We're going to start a series through the month of December called Known and Needed. Known and, and Needed. The church was designed for you to be known. And I want you to make this month that you will no longer come to Oasis Church and not know anybody and not be known. And the goal would be that you would understand how needed you are for the kingdom of God to move forward, for the church to move forward. And I think it's very dangerous that we follow such gifted communicators and gifted preachers that we forget we have what they have. He's called the Holy Spirit, and he wants to use us all together. And, and I, I am not some uh, different person than you are. I just am a person who's been filled with God's Spirit. God said uh, this, Jesus said this about the devil. The devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So, so the devil wants to kill, God wants to fill. He wants to fill you with his spirit. The reason why God wants to fill you with his spirit is because it's hard for the enemy, which is gonna rhyme, it's hard for the enemy to kill someone who's filled. Right? If you out here, it's a bar, I'm got bars. I thought y'all was gonna clap louder than that, Tyrone. I wore the blazer, I'm bringing my vintage stuff and y'all just, that was so good. So we're going we're gonna to start this series today called Known and Needed. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We're going to take a look at the beginning of the church. Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 42. That's a lot of verses. 14 through 42. How many verses that is? Somebody real quick. 14 through 42. How many verses is that? 28 verses. You get, what grade you get in math? That was amazing. He's like, 28. 28 verses. I love reading the Bible. I'm hoping and praying that our love for the word increases over this next year. Not to just hear it, but to read it, spend time in the word. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd. I want you to catch that. Shouted to the, shouted to the, and he said, listen carefully, all of you, follow, 
fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk. Peter is, is talking about a situation where the Spirit has filled the believers, and they start praying in other tongues, not speaking in tongues like we think of that came as well, but this is they, were, they got a crazy gift. They start speaking in other different languages that everybody could understand, and the people were, were watching and saying, hey, these people are drunk. What's going on? It was a filling of the Spirit, and they were being accused of being drunk. And so Peter's like, no, 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 these people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. And I love this part. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. Peter's like, we do get lit, but not this early. No. <laughs> I don't know why that's in the Bible. <laughs> They're not drunk. It's only nine. <laughs> Come check with me about 2 p.m., though. No. We might have a little something, something. That's my interpretation of what he was saying. He probably didn't mean that. I just was making a joke. I don't want to get any emails. He said, no, 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 it's not that. What, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. And it says, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Men and women will prophesy. Men and women will prophesy. I don't know why we keep arguing over men and women being able to preach. It says men and women will, will prophesy. Well, you know why I know we keep arguing about it? Because men and women will prophesy. What is prophecy? Prophecy is hearing the word of the Lord. So the only places women aren't allowed to speak are places that don't hear the word of the Lord. Right? He says men and women will prophesy. Look at this. Your young men will, will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I always took that personal, being a, a, a younger. I'm not like, you know, a millennial or anything. I missed a cut. But, <laughs> but I always like look at that like, I look at like the older generation and they have the dream. The younger generation has the vision. And I always thought maybe the younger generation doesn't have the right dream, but they have great vision. And maybe the older generation has the right dream, but they don't know how to make it happen anymore. And so what if the young people and the old people combine together with their, the right dream and the right? So I always used to tell Pastor Philip, you give me your dream and I'll come up with a vision for your dream. I'll lay down my dream. I look at this passage of scripture that in, 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 the, in the book of Genesis where Abraham is carrying, uh, he's getting ready to willingly sacrifice his one and only son, Isaac. And the Bible says that Abraham is walking up the mountain and he gives Isaac, the young generation, he gives Isaac the wood and he's carrying the knife. And I always took that as the young generation is responsible for the fire, the older generation is responsible for the sacrifice. So the older generations make sacrifices so that the young generation can be on fire. And those two things together are a potent and powerful church. We don't want an older church, we don't want a younger church. We want multi-generational church coming together and serving God. And he says, this is just great church, man. Like, this is not just like young people. Oh, it's a young church. It's multi-generation. Men and women alike, they'll prophesy, and I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. You know it's talking about good things that God does. It's talking about moves of God will happen before God comes back. 
Can I correct your theology about something? I know the world's going crazy, but you got to stop saying, you know, Jesus must be coming back soon because the world is going crazy. No, no, no. The Bible says the world will go crazy, then there'll be the greatest move of God humanity's ever known, and then Jesus will come back. So when everybody's getting saved and you're enjoying church, you should say, if I preach good, you might be like, Jesus is coming back today. Like, because it's a move of God that prompts the return of Christ. Not evil, right? What does the Bible say to do? We don't overcome evil with the return of Jesus. We overcome evil with good, the good of the church. So is the world evil or is the church powerless? We have to start to ask ourselves these questions. And so he's saying a bunch of things will happen. And then I love this last line. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I want you to catch this, that people are accusing them of being drunk. And Peter's trying to communicate that something that is confusing is fulfilled prophecy. I want you to take a, sit, a look at a situation in your life, and I want you to say, is this thing that I'm confused about, could this be the move of God I've been praying for? Because most moves of God don't make sense to the human mind. Are you standing in line for prayer for something that has actually answered prayer, but it doesn't look the way you thought it would look? He's saying, hey, guys, this is not a bunch of people being drunk. This is, remember, we've been praying for this for years. Remember Joel chapter 2? This is that thing that we went to temple every single week, every single day, and prayed about. This is that thing. Before there's a move of God in the church, you got to stand up about a situation in your life, a family situation, a job situation, and you got to declare, wait a minute, this might be that thing. This might be the thing I've been praying about. It's stressing me out. It's overwhelming me. But I think this thing might be the thing. The job that you hate might be the thing. Do you know how many things I've hated that have catapulted me into deeper relationship with God and into my presence? You got to have this moment where you say, something I don't understand might be fulfilled prophecy. Something I don't understand might be a move of God. Something I don't understand might be God working in me. Something I don't understand might be the greatest thing that's ever happened to me, but it looks like pain, but it's really a promise. It looks like failure, but it's really favor. And he's trying to explain this to them. And then he says, people of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, these are people who weren't Jewish, that you nailed him to a cross and you killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life for death could not keep him in his grip. Ooh, I love that. Death might get a hold of you, but it won't keep you. I love that. Death could not keep him in its grip. King David said this about him. I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises. That's why this is not a quiet church, because we serve a God who was dead and he was resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Oasis, no wonder Oasis' heart is glad and their tongue shouts his praises. And, and my body rests in hope. I'm going to read that again. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises and my body rests in hope. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. 
And then he says, dear brothers and sisters, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David was not referring to himself, for he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet, and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. And now he is exalted to the place of the highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out on us just as you see and hear today. For David himself never ascended into heaven, yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Oasis know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be Lord and Savior. This is the first church service and I want you to imagine yourself, and, and you killed Jesus. The first, I love this, this is really good preaching by Peter, because Peter is talking to the person, the people who killed him. The first church service, there was a pastor, Peter, 11 disciples, and a bunch of people who agreed or who participated in the killing of the God that Peter worships. Can you imagine you being in this room, I don't know what you've done in your life, but I know for sure you have not killed Jesus. It's so interesting how we're so hard on ourselves. So interesting how we're so critical of ourselves. Some of y'all, you are so critical of yourself and you're so critical of other people and you're just so hard on yourself. E even some of you guys that have been hurt by the church, it's like the church is so judgmental. It's really interesting how non-judgmental people judge judgmental people, it's weird. <laughs> Wait a minute. The church is so judgmental. Who said that? You, aren't you judging judgmental people? It's like, I don't get it, right? And Peter's standing up preaching to a room of people who killed him. He says, God made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and the other apostles, brothers, what, what, what should we do? And I love this answer. Because Peter didn't say, you know what, it's going to take a long time. You done killed Jesus. <laughs> Growth track ain't going to help you. <laughs> nope. I actually don't know what you should do. I'm pretty sure you're going to hell. How do you come back from killing Jesus? How do you come back from that? Like, what, what is the thing that you do? How do you make up for that? It says, you killed Jesus. And they went, <gasps> We killed the savior of the world. What should we do? Peter said, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promises to you and your children and to those far away. Whoa, what? What? So I killed the person that you're preaching about and you're saying I got to repent and get baptized, get in the water and see you at church next Sunday? This is a powerful thing. I don't know if I can have that kind of forgiveness in, in my heart. This is powerful. The church, the first church were made up of people who killed them. And G Peter's like, just repent, which means to change your mind after being with. And says, then Peter continued preaching for a long time. 
strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the, the church. Say the church. About 3,000 in all. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and, and, and the prayers. I thought this was interesting because it said, and 3,000 people were added to the church. Added to the church. Well, if it was added to the church, then what was the church before those 3,000 people got saved? I thought the 3,000 people were the start of the church, but it says, no, they were added to the church. So then who were they added to? This is, a, this is not a rhetorical question. Who were they added to? Somebody, somebody guess. I just read the whole passage of Scripture. You were paying attention. You should know it. It's a little bit of a Bible study. The who? Come on, front row. Man, y'all know everything, man. I don't want to hear from the front row. Every time it's always the front row. The disciples, it was prophesied in the book of Ezra. No, listen, hold on, man. I'm going to let somebody in the back answer the question. Y'all know, y'all read too much, man. Let somebody in the back answer. The 11 apostles. So what was the size of the church? 12 people. It all, it, all it takes is 12 people. 12 people. So you would think the 3,000 people were the start of the church, but no, it was 12 people. It says that the 3,000 were added to the church. So that means there were 3,012 people in the church. And 12 surrendered people turned the church upside down. Now, now I want you to catch this. I want you to catch this. Earlier in the passage of the, of the scripture, we read that Peter addressed the crowd. And then the crowd became the church. After they believed what Peter said, the crowd became the church. I was praying this weekend and God told me, I want you to preach a message called crowd control. Crowd control. Because I think that sometimes in church, the crowd increases, but the church remains the same size. That, that we can count people who come to church. I've done it. E each week, we get an attendance sheet, and we know how many people came to church. There are churches filled with thousands of people, and I wonder sometimes who's a part of the church and who's a part of the crowd. What if each Sunday we added from the crowd to the church? Now, we're grateful for the crowd, but there's limited blessing on the crowd. Salvation comes to the crowd. You hear the message of Jesus, you believe in Jesus, salvation comes to the crowd, but there's something special when the crowd becomes a part of the church. I, I feel like in, in my own insecurity, I love a crowd. And I think that so many times we feed a pastor's insecurity when we fill stadiums. Come on, every time I ever hear someone having a dream of preaching and sharing God's word, I believe I'm called to preach. Why? I had a dream. You know what I say? Let me guess. There were thousands of people in a stadium and you were preaching. Yeah, how did you know? Because that's everybody's dream of preaching. Nobody ever has a dream. I feel like I'm called to share God's word. I had a dream last night. It was me and a 14-year-old that had lost their direction, and I was taking them for coffee 18 times a week for five years, and then finally they turned around and they became the preacher in the past. We never say that. God told me I have Billy Graham's anointing. Okay. 
But we never say, I, I feel like I'm called to share God's word. I feel like 10 years from now, I'm gonna have a son and I'm gonna raise my son and my son's gonna be all, and my daughter's gonna be, but you know what? After 30 years of faithfulness, they're gonna come back to the Lord and they're gonna do all the things I wish I would have been able to do. We never talk about that. It's, all, it's never just one-on-one. -on -one. It's always the crowd, the crowd, the crowd. Jesus was always moving away from the crowd. I feel like I drove one time past the City of Hope Cancer Hospital and they don't celebrate how many cancer patients they have. They, they celebrate healing. I feel like sometimes when we count people, we're counting people who are so broken and we're not counting people who have been set free and healed, we're counting people who are sitting in a pew. And I can become addicted. We, we talk about addiction to drugs, we talk about addiction to alcohol, we talk about sexual addiction, but you know one of the most dangerous addictions for a pastor? Addiction to crowds. You can be addicted to the crowd and you cannot check to make sure that the crowd is becoming part of the church. Peter took a crowd and converted them to the church. See, 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 sometimes we think of taking a crowd and converting them like they're going to heaven. We do altar calls in crowds and people raise their hands and it's amazing and it's awesome. But what about our response to God? I remember one time I went to a recording studio back when I used to do a lot of music and I was, uh, uh, I don't know who you would wanna meet one day, but one of my people I met in this recording studio, I met Will Smith. And this was when Will Smith was even bigger than he was now. And I'm like, it's Will Smith, oh my God. I was like, I was, it was crazy. And Will Smith was sitting, we were sitting at a table that was a little bigger than this, and I was sitting right here, and Will Smith was sitting right there. And we were talking about um, his manager and some of his people, we were talking about doing some, I was writing some songs maybe for his kids. That didn't work out, obviously, I'm up here, but. Um, <laughs> in a blazer. Um, but, sorry, just having a little bit of flashback about, about my own surrender, you know what I mean? Uh, we're, we're all on a journey. Uh, but I'll never forget this. I'll never forget this. I was like, this is Will Smith. And, and there was a crowd in the studio, because Will Smith was there, and there were people everywhere. People were just kind of doing their own thing. And Will Smith said, hey, is there any Dr. Pepper? And when I tell you, Everyone scattered. It was like, just people started running. The crowd just started running and scrambling to find a Dr. Pepper. And I kid you not, within five minutes, there was a can of Dr. Pepper sitting on the table. And he takes one sip of the Dr. Pepper, I'm just gonna pretend it is. Sets it down and walks off. And then it was just me and Will Smith's Dr. Pepper. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> like, what should I do with it? Should I drink it and say I shared a Dr. Pepper with Will Smith even though he wasn't there? Should I take it home and put it on my mantle and say, this is my wife, this is my kids, this is Will Smith's Dr. Pepper? I don't even know what to do. I'm not kidding, I'm staring at the Dr. Pepper like one of my heroes. I don't know if you understand on the west side of, Born and raised. 
Are you guys okay? Not many people knew that. I think you need to find another church. Like, can you, can we, I just, you, you don't have the right church if you can't finish that song. I just got to practice because I'll leave today. I'm not kidding. Let's do this again. On the west side. Okay, I'm just checking. Okay, I'm still your pastor. As we were. That was a close one, babe. That was a close one. Okay, okay, okay. I get it, you know the song, okay. So we're gonna keep pastoring this church, babe. I just had to check. But everybody took off running. And I was looking at this Dr. Pepper like, yo, this crazy Will Smith Dr. Pepper. But you know what? I made a big deal out of a small thing because of Will Smith's resume. At that point, he had done 10 films in a row. All of them were 100 million. He was a part of my childhood. He was the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And I made a big deal out of a little thing. People made a big deal. People responded to a little thing because he was such a big deal because of his resume. People responded to a little thing. What if we responded to the little things of God because of God's resume? I mean, he parted the Red Sea. He declared to Elijah it wouldn't rain for three years, and it didn't. He was put in a tomb, and he was resurrected after three days. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cast out demons. For me and my family, he saved me. I don't know where I would be without Jesus. So if Jesus wanted a Dr. Pepper, somebody should run and go get it. We, we, we get involved when we understand the resume of who we're dealing with. It should make everybody scatter. When we talk about growth track, it's like if it wasn't for the Lord, I don't know where I would be. I got to go to growth track. I got to give. I got to serve because of Jesus and what he's done in my life. This is when the crowd becomes the church and God's been speaking to me. We need crowd control. We need, we need crowd control. And here's what it looks like in a church that's a crowd and not a church. I want to put this, this graphic on the screen for you. Um, this is like October 13th. Yay! Julian had a suit. His ankles were showing. They were perfectly lotion. His hands were ashy, though. But it was a great night. Yay! Congratulations, Julian and Christina. You guys are going to do so much for God. And then Julian preaches and we go, woo! Yeah! Go, Julian, go, Julian, go, go, go. Go, Christina, go, Christina, go, go, go. You guys are anointed. You guys are anointed. We want to listen to everything you say. But when you time to serve, we won't do nothing. We won't do nothing. We won't do nothing. That's a crowd. That's a crowd. That's a crowd. And, 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 and the greater the crowd, don't feed my ego, y'all. I've already laid my ego to rest. All I need to get back to my old ways is a crowd that follows me but not Jesus. I don't want to be followed. I don't want to be at the top. Can I tell you, this is what God created the church to be. And this is, and, um, this is what makes a weak church, really anointed leadership and a crowd. This is what we were always meant to be. Watch this. I'm going to show you another graphic. This is what Oasis is. Now watch this. So God has the lead pastors on the bottom. And when the church becomes the church, look at the surface area at the top. 
See, at, at the other graphic, it's just the point. It's just me and Christina, and we'll travel all over the world, we'll speak at conferences, we'll do everything, we'll do everything, we'll do everything, it'll be awesome. But look what happens when we get under and equip and train the church to reach the city, equip and train the church to pray for people. Look, what, look at the surface area. That, that, this is what the church was always meant to be. And I'm telling you right now, if you would make a commitment to move from the crowd into the church. I didn't realize that the very first church service, the very first church service was Peter taking the crowd to the church. And I love that. And, and that those 12 disciples had turned the, the city upside down. And they, were, they weren't impressed with the crowd. Gosh, man, I, 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 I got to get this word deep into the heart of our church. Because you need to know if you're a part of the crowd. I can tell you if you're part of the crowd. If you think I have something that you don't have, you might have slipped into the crowd. Don't we buy tickets to see people perform? And we're part of the crowd. Why are we part of the crowd? Because we can't do what the people on that stage are doing. What's the last concert you've been to? That's not a rhetorical question. What's the last concert you've been to? Somebody, uh, I want Ariana Grande? John Mayer? Huh? Kanye West? Uh, uh, the new Kanye or the old Kanye? I'm just checking. I'm not judging. I'm just checking. Jesus is king or... Or my dark twisted fantasy. Which one? Okay. Uh-huh. You know, you got an ass, you know? Anybody else? What's the last concert you've been to? Come on, earth, wind, and fire. I was waiting for somebody to take it to old school. The reason that we're here. That was in key, by the way. But, but, but why did you pay ticket? Because you can't do. You can't do what they do. We'd be so offended if we charged for you to get in here. Why would we be so offended? Why not? You think you can't do what I do, so let's charge tickets. We're so used to the crowd. Well, what's the difference? The reason why you don't pay to get in here because you're here to learn and be trained and equipped because everyone in here can preach the gospel. Everyone in here can heal the sick. Everyone in here can give a word of knowledge. Everyone in here. The reason why you don't pay is because there's nothing special about me. I have the Holy Spirit as do you. Have you ever been to a lake, have you ever been to a basketball game and have you ever seen LeBron James sitting in the audience and he bought a ticket to a basketball game? Why would he do that? He's in the league. He's not gonna buy a ticket to a basketball game. He does what they do. So, so this is not a crowd where you buy a ticket. I, I wanna invite someone to be a part of the church. Not to just have a relationship with Jesus, but to be a part of the, the church. And, and I feel like I've found a, a few major ways, because you might be saying, uh, how do I be a part of the church? Here's the thing about the Word of God. You come here every Sunday, and you hear the Word, and I want to read you this passage of Scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16. It says this, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof or rebuke, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So when you come to the church every single Sunday, thing number one, you have to make sure that the Word is doing these things. 
Am I learning from, not just, wow, one time, I, one time, I'm not kidding, I can't make this up. Somebody said, Pastor Julian, that message you preached three weeks ago changed my life. When I tell you, I have heard all kind of preaching, Stephen Furtick, T.D. Jakes, uh, all of it. it. It was the most powerful message I had ever heard, and I didn't know which message he was talking about. So I said, which message are you talking about? He said, the one where, um. Shoot. Um. Yeah, remember you had that, um, that green sweater on? And uh, you did your feet like this, and you were talking about that part about when, uh, dang, man. What, what? You know. No, I don't know. You tell me. And I talked to him for five minutes, and the most powerful message he had ever heard in his life, he didn't remember. So he remembered how he felt. But when you hear the word of God, you're moving from the crowd to the church when you allow the word to do four things. Teach you, rebuke you, correct you. Now here's the difference between, teaching means you learn something. Here's the difference between rebuke and correction. I looked it up. A rebuke means you thought it was right. A correction means you knew it was a mistake, but you don't know how to fix your mistakes. So a rebuke is, hey, I don't see nothing wrong with sex before marriage. Somebody will be like, no, I need to rebuke you. That's wrong. And it's with love. Correction would mean, man, I want to not have sex before I get married, but I don't know how. Then the correction is, let me tell you, you need some accountability. You need So the difference between rebuke and correction is, one, you think you're right. So you got to be real humble to get a rebuke. When Jesus rebuked, rebuked the wind and the waves, one of them he calmed. Well, because he rebuked the wind and the waves because Bible scholars think that the enemy sent the wind and the waves. That was the wrong timing of the storm. And then he rebuked Peter because Peter said, you will not die like this. So he rebuked him because Peter thought he was right for saying what he said. He didn't correct him, he rebuked him. So the word of God, if you want to be a part of the, the church and not the crowd, the crowd listens, but doesn't do anything with it. The, the church, they allow the word to teach them. They allow the word to rebuke them, meaning that you let the word change something. Don't develop a way of thinking that's opposite of the word. You allow the word to correct you, and you allow the word to train you in righteousness. So the more you listen to the word, the more you're becoming like Jesus. That is the crowd moving from, from the church. And can I give you three, three, five, three other things? I want you to write all these things down. 2 Timothy 3.16, you got to write this down. There are, there are three other things. One thing, number one, is how we allow the Word to change our lives. Do we allow the Word to teach, to rebuke, correct, and train us to be more like Jesus? And do we sow good seed? A lot of times this is giving. Sometimes this is your time. You're going to have an opportunity to give at the, at the end of service. And that's just, you don't have to, but that's... If this church has been a blessing to you and you're a part of the church, you've got to sow good seed. The Bible says that in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8 through 10, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times. Can you imagine? You can abound in every good work. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplied seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. You ever seen that brother at a, um, 
Baseball game eating sunflower seeds? That's what we do with our money sometimes. Just enough for us. But he says God provides seed for who? The sower. The sower. So if you want to be involved in the church or move from the crowd to church, you got to sow good, good seed. The other thing you got to do, I want you to write this down, you got to be good ground. Sow good seed, be good ground. What's the difference? What do you do with your seed is number one. What does God's seed do in you is number two. There's this beautiful scripture in Luke chapter 8, 1 through 15 says, Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the, the good news about the kingdom of God. Verse 4 says this, One day Jesus told a story in the form of a parable to a large crowd that he had gathered from many towns to hear him. A farmer went out to plant his seed. As he scattered it across the field, some seed fell on a footpath where it was stepped on and the birds ate it. Other seed fell among the rocks and began to grow, but the plants, plant soon wilted and died for a lack of moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns that grew up with it and choked out the tender plants. Still other seed fell on fertile soil or good ground. This seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as had been planted. When he had said this, he called out everyone. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. His disciples asked him what the parable meant, and he replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God. But I use parables to teach the others so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. And he says in verse 11, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is God's word. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, I'm good ground. The seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. The seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy, but since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, but, when they, but they fall away when they face temptation. The seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and so they never grow into maturity. And the seeds that fell on the good soil, the good ground, represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word and cling to it. Somebody say, I'm good ground. See, it's saying good ground, by definition, is someone who hears God's word and clings to it. You know what I've done? I've, I've, I've clung to the outcome of what I want God to do. I'm clinging to my dream, I'm clinging to my goals, I'm clinging to my career, but it says you gotta be careful because even though God spoke to you about that, cling to what he said, not what you want him to do. You see the difference? God can speak to you about your future and you'll cling to what you want, not what he said. Hold on to the word of God and it says if you hold on to God's word, you're good ground. Somebody needs to be going through the book of Joshua and holding on to what it says in Joshua and you'll be good ground. Somebody needs to go through the book of Deuteronomy and hold on to what God says through Deuteronomy and you're good ground. Somebody needs to read the whole book of Philippians and hold on to what it says and you'll be good ground. Somebody needs the book of John and you hold on to it because you're good ground. Somebody needs to read all the gospels over between now and Christmas and hold on to what he reveals because you're good ground. Somebody needs to open Ezra. You've never even known that was in the Bible. And hold on to what it says so you can be good ground. You can preach a good word to bad ground and it won't do anything. There's nothing wrong with the Bible, nothing wrong with the prophecy. We got to be good ground. Come on, this is, this is going to help somebody. This is going to help somebody. Be good ground. 
And the last thing I'll tell you is love all people. Love all people. Pick somebody right now that you just don't really, you're not really feeling like that. I'm not talking about toxic people. Listen, don't get back with old boy. I'm not talking about him. Every time I talk about love all people, you're like, Johnny, I was in church. No, 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 not Johnny. Johnny done stepped out on you eight times. Let him go. I'm not talking about him. You know? But love all people. You know, the Bible says these two things. I, I went over time, so I just want to read 1 John chapter 4, verse 12. It says this, no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And then it says in verse 18, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. What does that mean? If you are afraid, you're not just lacking love from God, you're lacking love from people. Because the Bible says that when we love people, God's love is perfected in us. And then it says later in the same verse that if we have fear, love has not been perfected in us. How do you get love perfected? It's not just me and God. It's God loving me and God's love flows through me to other people and then up to God and through me. It completes the circle of God's love. So when you get offended and people break your heart and you start to withhold and draw back from people, God's love cannot be perfected in you and eventually you'll be afraid. Eventually you'll be afraid. If you feel like you have to put on a mask for people, eventually you'll walk in fear because you can't. When I mean don't love people, I'm not, I'm not talking about you serve people out of codependent. I'm, I'm talking about you're not known anywhere and you're, you don't understand you're needed. If you're not known and you're needed and you don't understand you're needed, you'll always be part of the crowd. You'll always be part of the crowd. So I want to pray for somebody this morning. I feel this so strong in my heart and in one of those four areas, you, you, you got to grow. I want you to stand to your feet. One of those four areas. One is you got to let the Word of God do its job. And maybe you don't have time. Other is, you know, maybe you don't, you're afraid and you're not in a season where you feel like you can sow good seed. But there was a, a, a girl who, who gave two coins. Two coins. It was all she had, and God said, I'm gonna tell this story forever. So you sow good seed, and then be good ground. Somebody needs to let go of a dream and hold on to what God said. God, God is responsible, it's his dream. It's his dream for your life. It's not your dream that you need God to bless, it's his. Hold on, somebody in this church needs to get in their word like never before and cling to Philippians. Somebody like, be anxious for nothing, pray about everything. Somebody needs to cling to that in this season. Somebody needs to hold on to it, I'm telling you, and you'll be good ground. Because if you're not holding on to the God's Word, God's throwing out seed. God doesn't give a harvest, He gives seed. And, and if you want the seed to be multiplied by a hundred times, your job is just to be good ground. So what if one Sunday, the seed that's going to launch your career in the stratosphere hits you, and because you're not good ground, bounces off. I promise you, I know this for a fact. I am living out somebody else's calling. There's no way. The seed just hit me and hit my ground. 
God doesn't need me to pastor the church. This seed hit somebody before it hit me, but it hit them in the face and bounced off on the floor. You just got to be good ground. I know this is true. What was King David's original calling before being the king of Israel? Was he, was he born to be the king of Israel? No. Because what did the prophet tell Samuel, I mean Saul, when Saul messed up? He said, if you would have been, if Saul, if you would have obeyed God, somebody from your family line would have sat on the throne forever. So if Saul would have obeyed God, then where would have that have left David? No, Saul disobeyed God and God went looking for David. Can I, can I be honest with you? This message is more important than you think it is. Because in this season, somebody out there is disobeying God and God's gonna come look for you. And he's not looking for you because of your gifts, your talents, or your dream. He's looking for you because your obedience. He's gonna say, finally, I have found. I will go this far to say, and Albert, you can come get this. I will go this far to say, you are either a Saul or a David in this season. You are replacing someone or being replaced. And we have to take that. Because I can sit up here and be the pastor of this church and say for the next 35 years, we're gonna, nope. Philip was a man after God's own heart. That's why God chose Philip. And so if I wanna keep this role, I gotta have that same heart. I got a prophecy about Pastor Philip, not that I would be the best, best preacher, but that God would download Philip's heart to me. That was the whole point. The heart of God. And so I want somebody to step out of the shadows of the crowd and into the light of the church. Out of the shadows of the crowd. When the enemy comes, he comes after somebody in the crowd. Because the Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The gates of hell will prevail against the crowd, but not the church. Somebody's got to step out of the shadows of the crowd and into the light of the church.